0: But turn to Haggai chapter one. We're going to be verses one through fifteen this morning. A sermon I'm calling "The Best Thing in Life," and I'm hoping you caught the fact that I didn't say "best things" uh, plural. No, it's "best things" singular. But let me ask you a question: Do you ever get worn out from life? Yeah, I got some amens already. Yeah, that everything is just a daily grind just seems to get you down. Because what happens is, one day you're up, and the next day you're down, and the day after that you're somewhere else, and it's just, it's, just, it's just constant. That happens because maybe you're living your life for things other than God. But to be honest, that same thing can happen even if you are living your life for God. But here's something I want us to all consider. Okay? Every day of your life, you exchange that day for something. Okay. It's almost like we start the day and we have a pocket full of coins. And you exchange that coin for something that's valuable to you. So at the end of your day, all of your coins are gone. What do you have to show for your coins? Okay. What value do you have? Because there's plenty of people that will spend their proverbial coins in the things of the world. But the truth is you can have everything the world has to offer. But if it's just a bunch of stuff. Well, really, it's nothing. It's worthless at the end of this day. I heard somebody once say, you know, one thing I've never seen is a U-Haul trailer being pulled by a hearst. Right? Have you ever seen that? I've never seen that. If you have seen that, keep it to yourself. But uh, I've also heard it said that he who dies with the most toys wins. It's not true. He who dies with the most toys still dies. Because, you know, the average person in America, we get somewhere between 70 to 80 years. Some people get more and they're blessed, some people not as much, okay? And what we do is we take those days, those 70 to 80 years, and we exchange them. We exchange them for a day at work, or a, a, a day on the beach, or a day at school, or a day up on the mountains. You exchange them for something, and then when that day is spent, you can never get it back. The art of living wisely is largely a matter of spending your, th- your days that matter uh, in the light of eternity. Spending your day on things that are really going to last. Because living wisely is really difficult because often it's not a choice between good and bad. Often your choice is between the good and the best. And I heard somebody once say, that's the enemy of the church. It's not the good versus the bad. Often it's between the good and the very best. Because we trade our days on this earth for good things, right? But we have to consider, are we trading that day for the best thing? The very best thing. So the book of Haggai is the second shortest book in the Old Testament. And it has a very potent message for us. And this is what it's telling us. Put the first thing first in your life. It was written to a people that would have a similar message to us. I mean, we would, have, we would say, all of us in this room, that we are followers of God. And so would the recipients of this letter. They believed that. We believed that. But what happened is, these people we're going to read about, they drifted into this, this belief to where their intellectual belief of the supremacy of God really didn't match the way they were living their life. They gave lip service to the priorities of God. But the fact is, you could see otherwise in the way their life panned out. And so what happens is God sends a prophet. And he sends him to help his people get their, their priorities lined up with what they knew it should be. The book of Haggai occurs in 536 B.C. And there's a remnant of the people, 50,000 Jewish people that have returned back to, to Judah from Babylon. And they do this under the decree of the king of Persia. The Jews had been in captivity, but God had freed his people. And now they're back in the promised land. When this book opens up, they're already in the promised land. And it's just, it seemed great at first. Because God's people, they, they were enslaved because of their own sin. They were enslaved, they were trapped They eventually call out to God And God frees them God rescues them and, and it's like they said, oh God, thank you so much We don't deserve your grace You're so loving, you're so kind and gracious You rescued us And we just love you so much We don't deserve your love Like, oh God, we, we promise we will never be unfaithful to you again And you know what? I think they really meant it But it's like the problem was they had this short-term memory problem. And then they drift back into sin and the cycle repeats itself again. Sound familiar? Right? Maybe we should be pointing our fingers at the the Jewish people because this could be us. Well, when the book of Haggai begins, again, the people are back into the land. And when they got back into the land, they quickly rebuilt an altar and they started making sacrifices to God. Off to a good start, Right? And after two years, they had laid the foundation to the temple. But then their Samaritan neighbors, they came in. They wanted to help them. But the Jewish people, they rejected the Samaritans' help. The Samaritans essentially went back to the king, and they got a stop workage ordered. Okay? And so construction on the temple came to a halt. And so then 14 years goes by. And what happened is the people just got caught up with the routine of life. Because after all, they're busy farming. They're busy building their houses. They're busy raising their families. You know, those kind of things. And if you would have stopped the average Jewish person on the on the streets of Israel back then, you would if you would have said, Hey, what have you been up to? You know what they would have said? They would have said, Man, I'm busy. I'm just so busy with my life. I mean, I'm like really busy. I'm busy with my job. My kids have so many activities. I'm just busy with all of that. My school has me busy. Man, I can't wait for my life to slow down because I'm just busy. Once everything slows down, then we'll come back to church. Sound familiar? God's people had come back into the promised land. They started rebuilding the temple, but they got distracted with other stuff. And so what happened is they put God's desires on hold. It didn't take too long, but they really got used to life without a temple. And even their leaders, Zerubbabel, he's the governor, and Joshua, he's the high priest. They got used to a way of life the way it is. You see, the leaders of the Jewish people, they weren't pointing the people back to God. Sound familiar? You see, that's the backdrop in which God raises up the prophet Haggai and the message that God wants the people to hear through Haggai. Let's read in Haggai chapter 1, verse 1. The word of God says, in the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai, the prophet to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, the governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehoshaphat, the high priest. You know, one thing I love about the Bible is that when the Bible said something happens, God always gives lots of details about the location and the time and the people that were there. God does that so you can verify what he said happened really happened. Because when someone's being deceptive, they're very vague with their information. They say, oh, something happened. We don't really know what. I can't really remember when. And there was some people there, but I can't exactly say who, really. But with, not with the Bible. With the Bible, it says, in the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month on the first day of the month, God is saying, fact check me fact check me, I, I dare you. And God does that so we can fact check him, but also that you, so you can know this is true. And with that, let's listen to the, the, the chief complaint that God has against his people. Haggai chapter one, verse two. Thus says the Lord of hosts. These people say the time has not come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Here's my first point for us this morning. Point number one. Be careful not to put your desires before God's desires. I've heard somebody say, in short, Haggai is saying, give God the supreme place in your life. Haggai is saying the number one priority in your life needs to be God. Isn't that exactly what Jesus said? Jesus said, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and these things will be added to you. Isn't Don't we agree with that As as New Testament Christians? We agree, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. But we've got a problem. And the problem is we don't naturally seek first the kingdom of God. We don't seek first the kingdom of God because our default setting is sinful. We are sinners. And even Christians that call themselves followers of Jesus, we don't naturally seek first the kingdom of God. Here's the truth. I seek first the kingdom of me, you seek first the kingdom of you and the righteousness of ourselves. I do what's best for me, and then you do what's best for you, and then we all compare ourselves with our own measuring stick. If we are to give what do we do we give no thought to how we're living, if we're not naturally making sure of how we're living, we will by default, live for our own agendas. We will then live for the things of this world, even though that you and I know that the things of this world are never going to satisfy. We know that we will never find true happiness apart from God, and yet we continue to drift towards this attitude and this outlook of where we just live for ourselves and the things of this world. You know, what would happen if you say you're on a lake and you walk out on this dock and there's a boat, and that boat is tied to the dock. What would happen if someone just untied the, the boat? Well, initially, nothing happens. Initially, that boat is right there. But over time, that boat just begins to drift away further and further. The, the boat used to be within arm's reach, but now pretty soon, it's like way on the other side of the lake. So it is with Christians. We just kind of drift away from God. It would be so much easier if we did something about it while the, when we first noticed we are beginning to drift. Here's my second point, point number two. Those who put their desires before God's desires are often committed Christians. You know, we would not understand Haggai's message properly if God's people didn't make the very difficult decision to leave Babylon and come back to the promised land. They made a conscious decision, we're leaving Babylon and we're making the very dangerous journey all the way back to Jerusalem. Because think about it. They had jobs in Babylon. That most of them had been born and raised in Babylon. Most of them um, never knew anything other in life other than what Babylon, but yet they made a decision to leave what they knew and return to the promised land. It is 1,678 mile, miles from Babylon all the way to Jerusalem, and they chose to make this move with no U hauls. Okay? They knew this move was going to be hard because after all, Jerusalem had been laying in ruins for a a generation now. And so they make the decision to to make this nearly 1,700 miles, many of them on foot, and go back to the promised land and immediately start building the temple. And that's what they did. And so the the story starts out well. Everything's going great. They made the decision to move in the right direction, even though it's very hard. And they get to where they're going and things start going right. But then something stopped them. And what stopped them is things got hard. At least harder than they thought they were going to be. I, I think maybe what happened, this just is just my, my speculation. But I think they had this in their minds. They're thinking, okay, God wants me to move. God wants me to walk 1,700 miles across what is modern-day Iraq and Syria. God wants me to build the temple And then we're going to live happily ever after. You see, they got the first part right. They got the second part right. But then the second part, it got hard and they stopped. Why? Things got harder than they planned, right? Gradually, they they lost their vision and they drifted into a lifestyle where God's house just isn't a priority anymore. They probably had this view that, you know, the temple would be nice, but it's not exactly necessary. Can you see yourself in the story yet? Because if you've known Christ, if you know Christ, there was a time when you made a decision to follow Christ. You made a personal commitment to give your life to Jesus. And you decided to follow Jesus. Maybe you were baptized on that day. And you were on a spiritual high on that day. You were reading your Bible every day. Maybe you were attending a small group Bible study. Maybe you were tithing in church. You were serving in church. Everything was just clicking, spiritually speaking. Everything was so great, but then something happened. Maybe somebody said something to you at church. Maybe there's a group of people who were hypercritical of you at church. Everything was going so good, and then somebody, something made church difficult, and so you just stopped. And then the drift began to set in. And maybe you even prayed. You said, God, take that person out of my life. God, make those people stop. But then God didn't do that. So you began to drift. And you put your church life on hold. But meanwhile, what happens is, life goes on, right? I mean, you still have this job that you have to be at like every single day. And your house, it has to be clean like every day. If you got kids, it needs to be clean like every day. Can I get an amen? Yeah, amen, yeah. And those kids, they got to be like school like five days a week. And like the bills are still coming in, right? So what do you do? The church and Jesus just kind of drift into the background. Maybe you still go to church. Maybe only once a month. Definitely on Easter and Christmas though, right? But the church isn't the center of your life anymore. I mean, come, because after all, you got stuff you got to do. You tell yourself that you just don't have time to serve like you used to. Or maybe you fall into trap that you look at all the people that aren't serving and you're like, why should I waste my time when there's 20 people that should be doing this? Somebody's just going to have to step up because I don't have time. You're not exactly rebelling against God. You've just drifted into putting yourself and your family and your things ahead of what God wants. Look again in verse 2. The word of God says, These people say the time has not come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Point number three. Those that put their desires before God's desires often have excuses for why they've done that. You know, if you would have asked the average Jewish person on the street, you know, hey, why hasn't the temple been built? You know what they would have said? They would have said, you know, I'm all for rebuilding the temple. I am rebuilding the temple is important, but I got something else I've got to do first and then I'll come and help rebuild the temple. They would have said, hey, times are tough right now. I can't help afford to pay for the temple. They would have said, Hey, our kids have these things they're doing, and in a couple years, when our life slows down, then we'll come. They would have said, Hey, I can't help with God's temple right now because I got this other thing I've really got to do. And if you've been a Christian longer than five minutes, how can you not see yourself in the book of Haggai? Because we're all prone to wander. We're all prone to not put God first with our time, with our talent, with our treasure. And then maybe sometimes we use the Bible as an excuse because we'll say, hey, in the Bible it says if you don't take care of your family and provide for them, you're worse than a non-believer. And then we say, you know, I'm just trying to follow that scripture, right? And then we'll say, you know, this is a hectic time because, you know, our kids are on a traveling soccer team or baseball league or wrestling team. Enter in whatever sport your kids are in, right? Our kids demand so much of our attention. Every day is taken up with meeting their needs. But someday... Be through this phase, and then we'll be able to help out. Continue reading Haggai chapter 1, verse 3. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruin? Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you'll never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You, you clothe yourself, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so and puts them in a bag with holes. Point number four for us. Those who put their desires before God's desires are blind to God's correction in their life. At this moment in the book of Haggai, God's people, they got an issue. And the issue is they're working hard, but their hard work never seems to be enough. Because they farmed all day. They've got some crops, but it wasn't enough crops. And they're thinking to themselves, you know, if God would only send the rain, if God would only send the rain, then we'd have more crops, and then we'd be able to have the money that we need for God's temple. So what do they do? They figure, well, since God didn't send the rain, I need to farm more. I need to throw more seed. I need to farm more land. I need to do that. And then we'll have enough. We'll be able to pay our bills and then we'll give to what God is asking us to do. But for some weird reason, it never seems to be enough. That's strange, right? No matter how hard they tried, it's like they're just spinning their wheels. It's like inflation is just gobbling up what little bit they had. It's kind of like they're putting their money in in bags with holes in it. See verse 6. At the end of the month, there's nothing after they pay their bills. You know, of course times are hard. And so they don't have the extra money to build the temple. And then they think, you know what? God's going to understand. God's going to understand because God knows everything. He knows we're trying our best. But if he would only give us a little bit more, then would we be able to give? You see, what the people didn't see is that God not only understood their problem, but God's the one that was causing their problem. They're working harder, but they're getting further behind. They hadn't stopped to to consider that God's trying to tell them something. And then comes this prophet by the name of Haggai. He's going, hey, everybody, listen up. Pay attention. God controls the rain. God makes the crops grow. He's withholding his blessing because your priorities are out of whack. Put his house first and then he'll bless you. Remember what Jesus said when he said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and these things will be added to you. People who drift from putting their wants ahead of God's kingdom, they've lost spiritual discernment and they've fallen into this trap and they can't see that they're in a trap You see, what's going on is God's people are working for what perishes rather than the the unperishable. They forgot it's supposed to be God first, everything else second. You see, if you put God first in everything, he's going to give you what you need. Hear me on this. What you need and what you want are rarely the same thing. This isn't some prosperity gospel message. No, he's going to give you what you need. Pick up your Bibles. Haggai chapter one, verse seven. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up on the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. You look for much and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why? declares the Lord of hosts, because my house that lies in ruins while each of you busies himself in his own house. Therefore, the heavens above, you have withheld the dew and the earth has withheld its produce. And I have called for a drought on the land and the hills and the grain and the new wine, the oil on the ground, bring uh, the ground brings forth, oh man and beast and on all of their labors. Here's point number five. Point number five. Those who put their desires before God's desires will never be satisfied. Now, consider this. God's people, they're not totally broke. Because God said earlier, they live in paneled houses. You see, the point is, if you're living for yourself, God's never going to give you what you want. It's going to be like that carrot. It's just, it's just outside of your grasp. And you're thinking, if I could just get just a little bit more, a little bit more, I'd get it. And then I'd be happy. But it's never going to be enough. Because you're not going to get it. And God is the one that's going to make sure you don't get it. There was a great British philosopher by the name of Mick Jagger. He said, I can't get no. <laughs> I can't get no. Satisfaction. No, 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 hey, 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 if you know the song. King Solomon would say like this, he'd say, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Because if you're living for your money or power or fame or education or whatever, it's never going to be enough. I heard of a young man and he said, when I'm done with school, then I'll have time to serve God. And there was a man who was a little older than him. He said, you know, when I, when I meet a nice gal and we settle down, then I'll serve God. And there was a married man. He said, well, when we finally have kids and we stop traveling so much, then I'll serve God. And there was a dad that said, you know, when these kids are grown and out of my house, I'll have time and money to serve God. And then there was a grown man. He said, when I finally retire and I have money and I get to stop working, then I'll have time to serve God. And then there was a retired man that said, I'm too busy doing all the things in retirement to serve God. And then there was an old man. And he said, I'm too old to serve God. I had a wise man once ask me. He said, hey, John, do you know when the best time to plant a tree is? I said, no, when? He said, 20 years ago. Before you need the shade. When should a Christian start living for God? When should a Christian put God first in everything? Like right now. And see where God brings you in 20 years. Because what good does it do to work hard your whole life so that you can retire and enjoy the good things in life if a month after you retire you have a heart attack and die? You just put your wages in a bag with holes. This world is full of people that spent their whole life trying to achieve something that was never going to satisfy them. Famous actor and comedian Jim Carrey once said, "I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed, so they can see it's not the answer. Because our sinful nature, we we always want what we think is going to satisfy us, and most often we are wrong. But that doesn't stop us from going after that thing." Point number six: We must intentionally choose. To put God's desires before our desires, or we will default to being selfish. Let me clarify what God meant when he said, the house of the Lord in the book of Haggai. God meant the temple. He was talking about the temple that's in Jerusalem. Because the temple was the center of the the worship of Yahweh to the Jewish people. It was a beacon of hope and, and grace to a lost world. Now, God is omnipresent, meaning he's everywhere, but God commanded Solomon to build him a temple as a place of worship for his people and also for for the people that weren't his people to know that he's God. And so the people, they were unfaithful. And so God allowed the temple to be destroyed. And and then the the people went into slavery in Babylon. But now at this time, he's freed his people and he's brought them back into the land. They were told to rebuild the temple because the temple revealed the glory to, to the others. And so they started making sacrifices and they offered them in the holies of holies. And this all pointed to the Messiah, Jesus, who would come and die for our sins as the final sacrifice. So to allow the temple to lay in ruins that was to neglect the worship of god now here's a question it's not a trick question what's the first commandment i don't what is it no other gods right you shall have no other gods before me so effectively don't worship anything other than god so by not rebuilding the temple god's people were worshiping their homes They're they're worshiping their business, they're worshiping their families, they're worshiping their lifestyles, they're worshiping themselves before God. Thus, they are breaking God's law. Now today, we don't go to a temple, right? The New Testament, we, we are referred to as the church age or the age of the church. Nowhere in scripture does it say that the church building is analogous to the temple, there's a lot of people that want to say that's the case, but they're wrong. This is not the temple of God. Well, what is? People. People are the temple of God. When you make a building more important than people, you are breaking the first commandment. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16 it says, Do you not know that you are God's temple? and the god's spirit dwells in you you see it was in the old testament the temple was was the, the the resident for the spirit of god that's where god revealed himself to the earth but not anymore today he does it through believers the spirit of god dwells in the human heart and together we are being built into the temple of god read in second excuse me ephesians chapter 2 verse 21 The Word of God says, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So to make the house of the Lord a priority in your life means your number one goal is to make your body a a fit dwelling place for the Spirit of God by the renewing of your mind, right? You devote yourself to building you up and then you devote yourself into building up others. And then I do the same. I devote myself into building myself up and I devote myself to building you up. So we are all building ourselves up and building others up. And together, we are the house of the Lord. But we have to recognize it's a constant battle. We're still sinners. So we must be continually putting God first, or we will naturally backslide into our own selfish ways. Because naturally, we want to take care of ourselves, materially speaking. That means by default, when we take care of ourselves, we minimize the spiritual things. And it's a constant battle to do what's right for the kingdom of God and not feed our sins. In Romans chapter 7, Paul said, For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. He goes on to say, so it's no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know nothing good dwells in me, that is my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. Then what's the answer, Paul? How do I find relief? He said, wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind with my flesh, the law of sin. I'll sum it up like this. When I live for God, I win. But if I live for me, I lose. You know, most of God's prophets, they deliver God's message and know that likely they're going to get killed for doing their job. If you had a business card in the Old Testament that says prophet of God on it, you're probably going to die. That's how it worked out. And if that didn't happen, what was going to happen was nothing was going to happen. Jeremiah preached for 40 years and no one got saved. I mean, I think I've had some hard ministry, not compared to Jeremiah. He he wins that one. But Haggai, he preaches and the people listen. Pick up your Bibles, verse 12. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehoshaphat, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God. And the word of Haggai, the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent him. And the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message. I am with you, declares the Lord. And the Lord stirred in the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, the governor of Judah. And the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehoshaphat, the high priest. And the spirit of the remnant of the people. And they came together. And worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God, on the 24th day of the month, the sixth month in the second year of Darius the king. Here's my seventh point point number seven. Folks, now God's desire requires humility. So Haggai, he preached the message, and the people listened. And that took humility on their part because it would have been easy for Zerubbabel and Joshua to reject Haggai's message because these two guys are the political and the spiritual leaders of the day. For them to obey Haggai, it was going to require time. It was going to require money, which are the two things the the people didn't want to give, right? Here's an interesting fact. The book of Haggai is only two chapters, a total of 38 verses. In those 38 verses, 25 times Haggai says that he speaks for God. So Haggai speaks more for God than any other Old Testament prophet. What does that mean for us? Well, what is the message of the book of Haggai? The message of the book of Haggai is put God first, that God is the priority in your life. Everything else you can think of comes second. That also means that one-time obedience is not obedience. Often Christians want to point to something in their past that they used to do as proof of how strong their walk is with the Lord. I mean, that's great, but what are you doing like now? To drift away, that's our default position. So we have to keep like a hand, one hand on the wheel, always spiritually speaking, because if we don't, we will naturally drift away. There are a total of two times in this book that that God says, consider your ways. He says it in verse 5 and verse 7. I want us to consider our ways. I want you to consider your ways when it comes to your goal of putting God first in everything. Because our goal is to be the temple of God for the New Testament believer, right? Right? And we have this constant battle with our own sin. And we have to constantly be self-evaluating if we're going to become who and what God wants us to be. So I'm going to ask you a question. I'm going to ask you five questions. I'm going to have them up on the board. And you ask yourself. Maybe you need to write these down and really have some introspective here as you ask, ask yourself these questions. Don't answer to me. Answer these to yourself. But here's question number one. How do you spend your time? How do you spend your time? All of the time that you have, it's given to you by God. How much of your time goes to you and how much of your time goes to God? Question number two, how are you spending your money? Which all of your money is God's money and God gives you what he gives you and he wants you to give back to him. So do you tithe? Do you? Or does all of your money go to the worship of you? Or do you give back to God? Question number three, what are your goals? At the end of your life, let's say your your funeral was tomorrow, what do you want people to stand up and say about you? What do you want people to remember you by? Question number four, what do you think about the most? No, really, what do you think about the most? If we were to embed a microchip into your brain and then and then come here on a Sunday morning and put all of your thought life up on the screen, would be horrified? Question number five. Who do you want to become? Is there somebody that you're patterning your life after? Because for a New Testament believer, it's supposed to be Jesus. Let me ask you, how are you doing with that? Let me give you one last point of application, then we're going to conclude this message. Go back in your Bibles. Haggai chapter 1, verse 8. The Word of God says, go up on the hills And bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it. That I may be glorified, says the Lord. You know what happens when we put God first? God's glorified. Point number eight. When we submit to God's will and not our own, God is glorified. God is glorified through his people when we put God first. The word glorified is the Hebrew word kavod. It's, if you're going to speak Hebrew, you've got to get that gl- guttural sound. Try to say it. Say kavod. Like eight of you. Thank you. Um, <laughs> the word kavod means to make heavy or make honorable. You see, when we make our life all about God, we, make him glor- we are glorifying God. We make him heavy. He's honored. God doesn't want some ritual sacrifice. God doesn't want empty religion. He wants to be glorified. He wants kavad. You know, God's not glorified when we light some candle. God's not glorified when we chant some saying. God's not glorified with any of the stuff that religion comes up with. God is kavad when we make every single aspect of our life about him. God is glorified not only when I make my life about him, but when you make your life about him, and together we glorify God. But I want you to know you can't glorify God until you know Jesus as your Savior. Because the truth is we are all desperately wicked. We are all separated from him because of our sin. And there's nothing we can do to make up for our sin problem. That's why Jesus came. That whole Old Testament we're talking about, it all pointed to the coming Savior. And now we look back at the cross. Why did Jesus leave heaven, robe himself in humanity, and come to the cross? Because I'm a sinner. Because you're a sinner. And no amount of religion will ever undo our sin. But God came and he paid the price for my sin and your sin on the cross. The Bible says whoever calls in the name of the Lord, they will be saved. Have you called in the name of the Lord? Not called on the name of your religion, not called on some act that you've done, but called on Jesus and said, I give you my life. Because that's what must happen. There must be a moment of spiritual clarity where you call out to him and he will save you. And for most, it's through a simple prayer where you say, God, I'm a sinner, but you paid for my price on that cross. I give you my life, save me from my sins. And I pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, amen.